All right, let's go. Um, we're in a series of messages. If you're just jumping in now, it's the perfect time, by the way. Glad to have you here. Uh, but the series is called Some Assembly Required. And that's because our relationships, they don't work like they're meant to. They don't function like they're ultimately going to right out of the box. It takes painstaking work to assemble them. Uh, I think about when uh, I bought uh, my daughter. At the time, I only had one daughter. It's crazy to think about that. And I was like 94 of them. Um, <laughs> I bought a little kitchen set, and, uh, and it was a great thing to buy and bring home. That was, that was easy. I mean, it was, I had to pay for it, but I had to bring this thing home. Uh, that was easy compared to putting it together because there was approximately 94 billion pieces to this thing. And I remember just, just so many hours just hunched over, my back hurting, just all the work that went into assembling this thing that, that I had bought and brought home. But before it could work like it was meant to, it had to be assembled. And if I had stopped at any point in the process, it wouldn't have done everything that the picture on the box said it would or that it ultimately could had I, ha- had I stopped prematurely. And our relationships are like that. Some of us are just f- for years have been limping on with relationships in our lives that are missing out on features that they could have, that they have within them the capacity to produce and to, to function like. But, but we're, just, we're just keeping them in the state of arrested development because we're unwilling to move on to that next step. So that's our goal. Uh, each week of the series, we're trying to receive tools because you can't assemble something if you don't have the proper tools. And so... We're not so much focusing on like individual relationships and saying, for this one, you're going to need this, and a whole week on that. What I, what I really made it my goal so that this can be universally applied would be that every week we would walk away with a tool that could apply to any relationship in your life. So you could use that tool at work, use that tool at school, use that tool on your soccer team, use that tool with, with any context, even a complete stranger in a customer service situation or anybody that you meet. That's, that's our goal. I really want this to be practical, and I, I hope you'll continue to come back because the more tools you have, the better off you'll be. And so the next couple of weeks, there's going to be some really super practical tools that in your relationship, I wonder what new features might get unlocked if you could you know, get a working knowledge of, of these unique tools. Well, last week, we talked about the tool of alignment and how to align our behavior with the outcome that we want, our intentions and the impact that we actually have. Because we said that, that your, your intentions don't really matter, quite frankly. Uh, it's, it's, it's the impact that you're having that actually is felt uh, by the world. This week, I want to talk about the tool of embracing discomfort. That's the tool. Uh, it's not too late. You can leave. Uh, this, this is the tool we want to figure out how to, how to get good work, a, wor- a good working knowledge of, embracing discomfort. If, if I do what I feel like God's called me to do this week, you're going to all walk out of here understanding, hopefully, a little bit better about how resisting the urge to resist discomfort will actually help your relationships. We need to learn how to embrace. This sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? discomfort. If you have a Bible, uh, Proverbs 3 is where we're going to begin. Every week of the series, we're really taking some principles from the Proverbs. Uh, it's been called a manual for skillful living. So that seems like it would be a helpful place to, like if we're going to assemble stuff, we need a manual. Makes sense? So we're going through the book of Proverbs. It's so helpful uh, in so many ways. You cannot read the book of Proverbs and, and not find things to apply. 
and, and, or, or understand the, re- the reason you're getting so much difficulty in life. That, oh, that explains everything. That's, dang it. I was, I was way off. Samson, I, I was way off, right? Uh, so Proverbs 3, uh, title of my message is this. Do the hard things. I didn't go for clever and bee stings and those. No, no, no. I, I just wanted to give you your assignment. Here's the whole, like, this is it, man. Do the hard things. Because we're learning how to embrace discomfort as a tool for our relationships. It's going to make your marriage better, believe it or not. It's going to make your relationship with your third cousin twice removed or the one that you wish would be completely removed, whatever. It, if you could embrace some discomfort, imagine how much further you'd go in this life. Do you, do you feel at the outset your relationship's getting better like I do? Yeah, it's approximately one-fifth of the room where I'm at. The rest of them aren't with me. It's cool. No, it's fine. No, it's good. It's okay. I had to ask for it. It doesn't count. I'm embracing discomfort, like preaching to y'all. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. It's good, it's good. In Portland, they're going crazy. It's revival, I can tell. All right, so here's, here's the deal. Um, Proverbs 3, uh, do the hard things is the title. Do you like to take notes in church? Yes. I do. When I, when I listen to messages, if, if I'm not preaching, I'm at a church, I'm listening, I'm taking notes. You want to know why? Because I do not have the memory I wish I had. And I wish I, I'll remember that forever. No, I won't. But I know where to find it. And so I'm always writing stuff down. I listen to church messages when I'm, I'm, a, I'm a preaching junkie. I love a book uh, that'll help me anything. I'm always trying to learn. And so I'll have a podcast on in the car. I'll have a teaching on here. I'll have something, a book by my bedside table, a book uh, by, the, by the coffee table. And I'm always like writing notes down. And I try and compile them back to where I can find stuff. And and uh, so I think it's really helpful, is, is all I'm trying to say. And I'll pull over. You, if you, you see me on the side of the road with no police behind me, it's because I'm trying to write down a note before I forget it because I gave up on Siri. That, that was just futile. Siri, text me this. It's just nonsense. Uh, so it doesn't, doesn't make any, any help. So uh, all that to say, if you like to take notes in church, I have the title, which I already told you, which is Do the Hard Things. And the tool is I also got a sneaky secret subtitle. So it's going to be one of those sermons. So if you, if you do like to write that down, you can write in parentheses next to my actual title these four words, I am the lion. So just jot that down because that's our secret subtitle. And it's the path to doing the hard things, okay? I am the lion. All right, Proverbs 3, here's what we find in verse 11. My son, do not despise. Someone say, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. In other words, don't despise something that naturally is despicable. Do not despise the chastening or the discipline or the correction. Oh, I love correction. I hate it. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Or in other words, don't go with your natural inclination on this, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects just as a father, the son in whom he delights. To fight against or to hate against or to resist God's chastening or to go with your gut on how it feels like you should be responding would be to keep you back from something that God wants you to experience. As we let that sink in, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for this, just the, the beautiful simplicity of what we just read that how we feel in in certain situations is not an indicator of what we should do. Thank you that as we see the invisible, it will give us the strength to to realize this and to walk out of this reality. I pray you would help me to communicate what you've been showing me and speaking to my heart. And I pray you'd help us all to live out of this, not just hear it, but do it. And I pray that you would draw people 
who are hearing this message, who are far from you, who, who are hurting, who are empty, who are sad, who are lonely, who don't know you, I pray you draw them to yourself. And I pray you draw all of us closer to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The sort of big idea here in these two verses, and really kind of what I want you to understand about this topic, is that just because something's unpleasant, that doesn't automatically make it unprofitable. Okay? Just because something that you experience in life. No, it can be. But just because something's unpleasant, that doesn't automatically make it unprofitable. And our tendency would be to see no good in something that's unpleasant and to miss out potentially on something that could actually help us. But something, listen to me, being hard doesn't automatically make it bad. Now, this is a principle that's bigger than just a specific instance, but it's very much true when it comes to God's disciplining in our lives, God's correcting in our lives, God's steering us in our lives, at times dealing with it, things that, are, that hurt. But really, God's discipline isn't pleasant. We'd be lying to say it was. That when God works in our lives, trying to you know, steer us in the right direction, at times that, that, that means that we, we're taking some swats. And that's kind of the way he compares it. It's, it's like a father that spanks his son. Do you think the son's like, Dad, that was great. Could we do that again tomorrow night? Like, yeah. it's not pleasant. It's, it's, it's something that your initial response is to detest it, to hate that. I hated every spanking I got as a child. I hated them all. I hated, I, there were so many things I hated as a kid. My family, we, we got flu shots this week, right? It was like, we had, we had a family day and it would be agenda. We read the agenda. I was get flu shots and clean the garage. My kids were excited. Like, they were thrilled. Like, that was, that was, a, it was a rager of a day, right? So we all lined up one after the other. Stick, 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 stick. And I was reminiscing about how when I was a kid, my mom would tell you that it took usually two or three nurses and an orderly and a doctor to hold me down to give me a flu shot or any kind of a shot. Like, I'd be screaming. I, was, I, was, I, was, I did not like shots. I did not like needles, and it was really bad. And, and my kids are so brave. They're just uh, clover cried a little bit. But then the, you know, Daisy, who normally is a screamer, she just kind of took it. And she's like, it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be because the arms, because she always had it in the leg, but now she got it in the arm. She's like, the arm's way better than the leg. And, uh, but, but, but it doesn't feel good. No one gets a, a flu shot because it feels good. It's, it feels terrible. Right? My arm's still a little bit stiff. It, you get it because it's profitable, right? And so it is when it comes to, to discipline. Discipline that God imposes on your life is profitable for two reasons that I see. Number one, it's proof that he loves you and proof that you belong to him. Think about it. You don't discipline the neighbor's kids. You go to prison, right? Come here, Johnny. You're getting a spanking. It's like, nah, you know, you send them home and you email a bill, right? You send them home and you email an invoice and a photo of the damage, right? You, you, you send them home to their parent to do the discipline, so if you discipline a child, that's proof that, that they belong to you. That's proof that you have the authority to discipline them. So, so when God disciplines you, just remember, hey, that's because he loves you. That's because he loves you. So now, that's a good response to that. Thank you that I belong to God. He's my father, and he disciplines me. That's proof that I belong to him, okay? The, the second reason it's profitable is because it leads to a desirable outcome. You don't want, deep down, you don't want to be undisciplined. Do you want when your coworkers describe you and your work habits, like, that guy is so undisciplined. You're like, that's what I was going for, right? No, you don't want to be undisciplined at work. You, you don't want to be known as, as the person who's undisciplined financially. 
that no one in your life would come to you for financial advice because they see you as being undisciplined financially, spending more than you make, bad financial habits. No, you don't want, you don't want to be undisciplined when it comes to finance. Do you, does anyone want to be undisciplined when it comes to uh, at, you know, physical fitness and eating? Like you, no one wants to be undisciplined that you feel like you just eat without even thinking about it or you eat emotionally. No, you, want, you would like to be a person who's disciplined in body, disciplined in mind, disciplined in work, disciplined in finances, disciplined in habits and choices and decisions that you make, right? We all want to be disciplined. I flew to Colorado Springs this week and you, you land there, they make a big deal about the fact that the United States Olympic Training Centers there in Colorado Springs, where they train at a mile high, and, and you think about how to be an Olympic athlete, what do you have to do? You have to be disciplined. So, so, so we, we, we celebrate those who are disciplined. The, the master violinist, the, the master dancer, the master whatever, pole vaulter, right? So, so that's someone who's become incredibly disciplined. So we deep down respect the results of discipline. But how do you get to be disciplined? You've got to get disciplined. So no one wants to be disciplined. We detest it when it happens, but the result of fighting against it and not leaning into it is ending up at a place that you don't want to be deep down. So discipline would then become an unpleasant means to a profitable end. Therefore, something being hard, can we agree? doesn't automatically make it bad. So we bring this now, this construct, to our relationships. And in relationships, I don't care if it's a coworker or an in-law or a spouse, there are things that don't feel good. There are things that are uncomfortable about being in relationship. There's things that are uncomfortable about uh, keeping a relationship healthy and our unwillingness to embrace discomfort keeps the relationship from becoming the mature, healthy, vibrant source of life that it's meant to become. What sorts of things would we be tempted to withdraw from? Well, I don't know your triggers. I know mine. But I, I made a little list, and, and maybe this will hit you. Maybe, maybe it won't. But here's, here's some, some of the, the certainly not exhaustive things that would be uncomfortable but that are a part of and necessary to the growth of a healthy relationship. Confrontation. Confronting someone. Here's the thing. When you did this, it didn't make me feel well. Now, how do you respond to that? Do you love confrontation? Do you love someone loving, even when they do it lovingly, coming to you and here's what happened, here's how that made me feel, not blowing up, but, but actually confronting you in the right kind of way? Or any kind of conflict or correction or criticism. Maybe that's what you withdraw from. The moment someone tries to correct you, the moment someone tries to help you see life through your eyes, all of a sudden, you, 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 ha- you resist that because it's uncomfortable to go there. Or just difficult conversations of any depth at all that's beyond anything superficial. How about vulnerability? Feeling exposed, like feeling like someone can see you on the inside, being honest. Maybe that, that kind of depth just scares you off. Um, but it's necessary to achieve intimacy. How can you have intimacy without vulnerability? Showing weakness. Is that difficult for you? Do you resist that because it's not comfortable to you to show weakness? I hear some. Being caught off guard, surprised, scared, guilty, feelings of guilt when this comes up, feelings of shame, uh, moments where you have to apologize. How about success? Some people 
they withdraw from relationships when they're going well because they start to feel this like fear. And so they want to almost self-sabotage it because it's going well or feeling like there's the need for commitment and the inability to handle a, a conversation that's meant to define the relationship and move it towards commitment. Or how about things not going your way? Or how about when someone that you're trying to speak to on something needs time to process? This can be difficult if you're a, let's sort this out, let's hash this out now. But now they're saying, hey, let's sleep on it. Let's give this some space. I'm not ready to talk about how do you handle that. The point is, there are things that are uncomfortable for you that are going to be completely fine for me. And there are things that are going to be then the source of discomfort for me that perhaps won't be for you. The same trigger doesn't, doesn't apply to every single person. But what is universally true is that if we're going to be in relationship with someone, there are going to be necessary moments of discomfort, necessary moments of pain. We're like, I don't, I, want, I find myself wanting to pull back from this. I, I think back to when I was in third grade. When I was in third grade, I found out that I don't like environments where I walk into that, I, that are new, the first day of school type environments, or, or really any situation where I walk into a room and a ton of people's eyes all go to me at the same time. I realize that's an ironic thing for me to not like. <laughs> but, but I've had time to acclimate to this environment. When I walk into a situation, the perfect example, um, when I would get late to school, it was one of my biggest fears in life would be being late to third grade. And everyone's in the desk, and everyone's sitting there, and the teacher's already done roll call and is beginning the class. And for me to walk into that and swing that door open and have everyone's eyes look at me, you are literally defining hell for me. Like that, I hated that, okay? Little bit about my mom. She's never been on time to anything in her life. Doesn't even know what that means, right? So there was a lot of moments where there was tension between me and my mom because I'm late walking in this room. I, I just wanted to write the day off. Let me just try again tomorrow. Let's just, I'll just stay here now. I'll be early for tomorrow. It's going to be like she tells, the way she tells it, I don't remember this exactly, but she says I would stand in the hall fighting, trying to pull away from her, biting her hand. She would make me like go into class. I'm like, no. There was one moment when I, I asked permission to go to the bathroom, and I don't know why or how this happened, but on my way out, like, you know, did your parents always tell you to turn the lights off when you left the room? One time in third grade, I was going out to the bathroom, and out the door, I just shut the light off walking out the room, and everyone started laughing, but I didn't know what happened, honest to God. So I go to the bathroom, and I come back in the room. When I come back in the room, my teacher is boiling red, and everyone's clapping and laughing at me, and I was just so bewildered, just had no idea what was happening. I think about another time, I was preaching a sermon, and I'm preaching a sermon, and I'm just preaching my little heart out, just, just, just trying to remove this devil from the atmosphere. And, and a dog, I don't know how this happened, a dog got out on stage and walked out. Like, how, how does this even happen in a church? And I'm preaching this sermon, and everyone in the room just starts laughing at me and pointing. And I was just like, is this not good? I don't, and I didn't know, okay? So, 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 I'm like, I'm, and so people could tell I didn't know, so they're laughing harder. So, so finally, finally, I turned. But just before I turned, the dog ran off stage. So I turned. There's no dog. And so now I'm just so confused. If you watch the video, which I've deleted from the internet, as far as I could tell, 
then the first thing I did was, I think, is my fly down. So I looked down at my fly, and I'm just perplexed. I have no idea. And I, literally, it was one of those moments in life. I felt myself just all the blood running to my face. And those are really difficult moments for me. Being a shy, kind of introverted person, that's very challenging me for, for me to walk into a situation like that. So I know my triggers. I know what is uncomfortable for me. The key is to figure out what's uncomfortable for you. And how are you potentially being held back from somewhere that God and you, if you're honest, want to go? Somewhere that God and you want to go by things that you're resisting. Listen to me very carefully. The reward for avoiding pain is remaining the same. That's the first thing I want you to really kind of take to heart on this subject. We're talking about how something being unprofitable doesn't automatically make it unpleasant. And if you resist the triggers that you, you know it's hard for you to deal with this, and so you just pull back. And every time you shut down, every time the, the conversation gets, you know, to, to a subject you don't like, tears come up, you know. You're like, call your sister, call your sister, call your girlfriend. You know, you, you can't handle emotions. You can't handle a coworker, you know, bawling. And you're like, what's going on? Well, they start opening up to you and telling you how hard, how hard life is. And you're just like, oh, well, I hope everything just goes better for you. Good luck with that. And you run off. You know, you can't handle any kind of emotional vulnerability or someone being candid or any discussion about things of death where you just automatically shut down. Listen, the reward for avoiding that pain, congratulations, you'll remain the same. And if that's all you want, that's great. But if you want to grow, if you want to become something different, if you want relationships to mature and to be transformed and to be a source of joy, if you want to be a blessing to your coworkers and a blessing to the waitress who you can tell has had a hard life and you have a moment there, if you can... If, if you don't want to stay the same, like, I don't want to stay the same. I don't want to stay third grade Levi. I don't want, I want, to, want to just be still struggling with these things. I want to see growth and, and see myself become all that God sees is, is deep down inside of me. Then we have to embrace that pain. Embrace that discomfort. We have to do the hard things. That's what it's going to take. And what is it with us hating pain so much and hating discomfort so much? I was reading an interesting interview with someone who seems to love pain. Um, his name is, is Dean Carnassus, and uh, he's, in, he's been nicknamed the ultramarathon man. Get this. This guy, uh, one, one time, wrote, ran 50 marathons in 50 consecutive days in 50 different places. 50 marathons, 50 days in a row in 50 different places. He's run marathons in places like the South Pole and uh, Death Valley. Just, just this, this guy clearly loves pain. But he, he said something interesting Dean Carnassus did in an interview with Wired Magazine. Listen to what he said. I thought this was very provoking for our subject. Western culture has things a little backwards right now. We think if we had every comfort available to us, we'd be happy. We equate comfort with happiness. And now we're so comfortable, quote unquote, we're miserable. There's no struggle in our lives, no sense of adventure. We get in a car, we get in an elevator, it all comes easy. What I've found is that I'm never more alive than when I'm pushing and I'm in pain and I'm struggling for high achievement. And in that struggle, I think there's a magic. Come on, that's good. There's, there's an embracing the struggle because he doesn't want to stay the same. So he's not going to avoid the pain. And I'm not saying you need to go run a marathon on the South Pole. But what I'm saying is that scripture tells us pain is not all bad. 
Proverbs 20, verse 30. Look at what this tells us. It says, blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. What do you need to know? You need to know that comfort zones don't keep your life safe. They keep your life small. You see, when I talk about resisting discomfort, I'm really talking about living in a safe comfort zone. I don't go there. I don't open up. I don't talk emotions. I, or, or I do. That's all I talk about. Or I can't give people space. Whatever it is for you that, that makes you uncomfortable, that you tend to avoid because of what you've gone through, pain previously, the family you had, the, the father, whatever it is that, that, that you're uncomfortable with certain things, you just avoid them. And it's keeping your relationships in a state of arrested development. Let me tell you something. Your comfort zone feels safe. But all it's actually giving you is a small life. Because the black and blueness of that wound is what's going to transform you. Sometimes enduring that pain and dealing with that pain and taking it on the chin a little bit and just being willing to suck it up and keep going and not pull back and not retreat and, and, and not you know, split every time it starts to advance towards a little bit of where it seems to get a little bit serious that you can't handle that kind of commitment. I'm telling you something. It's going to lead to a small life. You can't get strong without being sore. Sorry. You can't lose weight without being able to be hungry and not go back for the Funyuns. Like, it's just going to take getting out of that comfort zone. And why should it be different when it comes to relationships? I found it interesting. I was reading a book called Die Empty. Great book. Uh, more business and creativity, entrepreneurial, kind of like a book about like whatever's in you. I don't, if, is, it, is it inventing a new uh, kind of car? Is it, is it a poem? Is it, is it some new breakthrough in science? And he's basically saying, don't die with that in you. Come on, die empty. I think that's pretty good preaching. Don't, don't get buried with your potential still intact. I, that's how I want to lead this church. Let's die empty. Let's go everywhere Jesus wants us to go. Let's reach everybody he wants us to reach. Let's build buildings where people can meet Jesus. Let's, let's risk. Let's go out there. Let's get criticized for something. Let's go. Let's go. Die empty. Man, I didn't hear anything about God in the book, but I saw God all over it because that's, that's the call to a life with purpose to die with all those planned out thoughts empty. In, in the book, he, he listed the seven deadly sins of mediocrity. The seven deadly sins of mediocrity. He's saying so many of us settle for just a mediocre life where we don't ever risk. We don't ever go big. We don't, we don't dare to live vibrantly. And he, he said the seven deadly sins of mediocrity. You want to see what they are? They, they, they're easy to remember because ABC to EFG. So cool. It's pretty. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, the seven deadly sins of mediocrity, aimlessness, boredom, comfort, delusion, ego, fear, and guardedness. Now, here's what's interesting, if you keep that up there for a second. Comfort's the only one that we actually praise. We value comfort. We, everyone else, we're like, I don't want to be aimless. I don't want to be bored. I don't want to be fearful. I don't want to be guarded. But we all want to be comfortable. So this perhaps is the sneakiest of them all. But let me tell you something. Just speaking as an entrepreneur, speaking as an author, you don't do anything without speaking as someone, executive producer of a, of a record label here at the church as well. You can't do anything great and be comfortable at the same time. It takes being pushed. It takes being stretched. It takes pain. It's hard. You got to keep failing, keep failing, keep failing, keep going, keep going. You got to take the red line edit. And here I'm telling you, this isn't that good. And it, it, but, but you can't be comfortable and, and create. Okay, then he gives the, the cure for all of these. Okay, and this is just so, so cool. Look at this. So for aimlessness, the cure is, look at this. 
define your battles. For boredom, the cure is be fiercely curious. For delusion, the cure is know yourself. Continuing on. For ego, it's be confidently adaptable. For fear, the, the, the cure is find your voice. For guardedness, it's stay connected. And going back to the third, the cure for comfort is step out of your comfort zone. Your comfort zone's not keeping you safe in your relationship. It's keeping your life small. God wants your borders to expand. He wants you to grow. He wants you to take some new ground. He wants you to take ground occupied by the enemy because you refuse to go there. And nature abhors a vacuum. So you're giving up that control. You're saying, I'm just not good with that. I'm just not good with that kind of stuff. You're giving up the access to, 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 to the Lord to work in that area of your life and see a victory come out of where it's always been previously defeat. And so what do we have to do? We have to embrace the discomfort. Or to quote Mark Twain, we need to eat the frog. (laughs) Like, what? Yeah, listen, Mark Twain is a great quote. He says, eat a live frog first thing every morning and nothing worse will happen to you the rest of the day. (laughs) That is great advice. Eat a frog first thing in the morning and once you've done it, you can be like, well, the rest of my day is all going to be wonderful. I mean, it's, it's actually not the worst advice. There, there's actually been, based on this, this just little quote, an entire book written uh, called Eat That Frog. And the author, Brian Tracy, in the book, uh, basically kind of develops this idea. He gives the rules of frog eating. It's amazing. In addition to eat it first thing in the morning, he says this. The, 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 the really important rule of frog eating is if you have to eat two frogs, eat the ugliest one first. <laughs> yeah? Eat the ugliest frog first. If you have to eat two frogs, well, whichever one's uglier, because then it's downhill from there as well. I can eat one more frog, but at least it's not the ugliest one. That one's already in my stomach. And then he says, the second rule, and, and what does a frog represent? Well, in the book, a frog represents anything that's important that you want to avoid. And it's more self-management. It's one of the most successful self-management books that's been written. Millions have been sold. But I'm t- taking the principle of frog eating, and that means anything you would want to avoid that's important. And I'm applying it to our relationships and any discomfort you're tempted to avoid. Okay? So if you have to eat two frogs, pick the ugliest one and scarf that sucker down. All right? The second rule of frog eating he gives in the book that I thought was interesting for our purposes is this. If you have to eat a frog, sitting and looking at it for very long will only make the experience worse. The longer you sit there and stare at your frog, the more it's just going to rib at you and psych you out. So you might as well just eat that frog. Just embrace the discomfort. Just do the hard thing. Listen, listen, listen. That leads us perfectly to our, to our next point. The real pain is in the anticipation. Jot that down. So many areas of your life. The, the real pain that you're trying to avoid, if you would actually just do it and just eat the frog and just go for the thing and embrace that discomfort, what you would find is the, the actual pain was more about the anticipation of the difficult thing and not the difficult thing itself. You build it up. To, and this is, this, you build it up to be something worse than it is, is what I'm trying to say. And guess what? This is not just a nice thing to say. This is like actual scientific fact. They have hooked people up to brain scans and and studied them while they thought about and then did something they didn't like to do. What? Math. Math. Would anybody at Fresh Life Church today say, I hate math? Just this is your chance. This is your moment. Just tell it, go to hell, math. Just just right now, just just, with your hand raised, you're saying, go to hell, math, right? Someone else can do it, but it's not going to be me. That's awesome. This is your moment. When do you ever get to see that in church, right? Okay, so listen. 
or anywhere else in life. Um, they say, and this is in a book called uh, A Mind for Numbers by Barbara Oakley, if it interests you at all. Uh, a Mind for Numbers, Barbara Oakley. She says they hook people up to brain scans who say they hate math. And the moment they bring math up, the pain centers of the brain start beeping. The pain, like you actually feel pain. So, so, so you have a perfect legitimate medical excuse to not do math. You, your teacher brings up, I'm in pain right now. I can't continue, right? So hook my brain up if you don't believe me. Okay, so my pain centers are going cray cray. All right, so listen, your pain centers will light up at the thought of doing math. But she says, Barbara says, the moment you begin doing math, the pain centers drop off. So I guess it wasn't doing math that was the problem. It was thinking about math that was the problem. So for you to sit there, I hate balancing my checkbook. I hate cleaning my bedroom. I hate doing I have to do this. I hate this project. The longer you think about it, the longer that you talk about it, the longer that you dread it. I hate needles. Just, just roll up your sleeve, give your shoulder, and let them stick. I'm telling you, eat that frog. Embrace the discomfort. Do the hard thing. Procrastination is what's making it worse. Just rip that bandaid off and say, let's have this talk. Let's do this. Tell me what's wrong. I don't like criticism. Tell me what's wrong. I'm going to smile. I'll put a pencil in my teeth if I got to. I'm just going to take it. I'm just going to take it. I'm not going to run. I'm resisting my impulses. Wounds that hurt are going to cleanse away my evil. Devil's not getting this victory. Come on, bring on the chastening, Lord. I thank you that it proves that you delight in me. Let's just live that way. It's the procrastination that's where the pain actually hides. So what are we going to do? When we feel like running, we're going to bear down. We're going to move toward, into, and through whatever you feel like avoiding. That's my final takeaway truth before my last one, which is coming just in a minute. This is just the warm-up close. Move toward whatever you feel like avoiding. Toward it, into it, and then through it. This, this, this is such a personal a thing for me to preach this because uh, it, it was how I got through grief and how I'm getting through grief. Um, I wrote in my journals about how when my, when my daughter went to heaven, grief was so scary to me. You know, all of it was so scary to me. And one of the things that when I was writing uh, just to God, I, I wrote, I said, um, I'm just going to run toward this thing that makes me want to run away from it. I'm going to look it in the eye. I'm going to, I'm going to let it do its worst. I, I actually said, I'm going to pull my shirt down so it could sink its fangs into my heart. And if it kills me, it kills me. But at least I won't have to live in fear. And I'm telling you something, that's how you want to live. Whatever you're scared of, run toward it, run into it, run through it. And there's only two outcomes that are possible. You're terrified of this thing, right? You built it up to be this horrible thing. There's only two possible outcomes. Jot them down. Number one, it kills you. That's what you're like, that's what I was afraid of. What good? You will be the first person to ever die from a DTR, ever in the history of the world, right? Like, it just killed you. But if it kills you, well, then fine. You know what? At least you you died for something good, and you don't have to live in fear anymore because nothing can sneak up on you that you're you're chasing down, okay? So chase it down, all right? So that's option number one, and it's not likely, all right? Option number two is you find out it wasn't so bad as you worked it up to be, doesn't last nearly as long as you thought it would, and that it actually brings a reward with it. 
because the reward for avoiding pain is remaining the same. But the reward for facing the discomfort and embracing the pain is the transformation that God actually has in store for you. That's what Hebrews 12 says. You know, Hebrews 12 is one of those passages in the New Testament that quotes the book of Proverbs. Not a lot of them times it happens. But in Hebrews 12, it's like, hey, remember that Proverbs 3 stuff? That was awesome sauce, right? And then it says this in verse uh, 11. Now, no ch- it's pretty cool because it's Proverbs 3.11. And this is Hebrews 12.11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Yep, got that. Don't love the spankings, right? Yeah, but do you want to go to prison, Billy? Right? You got to learn those rules. So that's awesome. Nevertheless... Afterward, I told you it's always Billy. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now look at the next part. Therefore, strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. What is he saying? He's saying if you handle correction well, your reward is more correction. 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 So you went through that correction and you did well? Well, guess what? You've graduated into the next level of correction because he's seen in you that you can handle it. Let me tell you something. The first day of boot camp, they don't give the kind of correction they give out to Navy SEALs because they're not ready for it yet. So if you handle correction well and you bear down on pain well, guess what? God's saying, Get those feeble knees ready. Get those arms strong. You better get your worship on. You better start with God because there's more correction coming because you've shown me that I can work with you. I'm going to call you to higher levels. You think it was hard running with infantry? Wait till I have you running with horses. You'll be cueing the eagle every day. You'll be counting on my strength every moment. You'll be trusting in me for the strength in your bones every day. You better strengthen your arms. You better be running toward that thing that you want to run from because the The reward for handling correction well is to be trusted with greater, more sophisticated levels of training. They don't don't give you first day skiing. Those long skis, those big old poles, they'll give you little tiny things that make a pie. They don't trust you with the kind of correction they're giving out at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. But the kind of correction they're getting, oh, you moved your elbow one inch to the left. That's not do a pie, Billy, you know. (laughs) Correction that you respond well to, okay, you can be trusted with more. Be trusted with more. Be trusted with more. God can give you more. And and the the higher you go, the smaller the degrees of change make a difference. So it becomes more and more critical that you buck up every time you, you pass a level. Buck up. You, bet, you, best, you, you best strengthen yourself. You best fortify yourself in the Lord because you ain't seen nothing yet. All right. So, so we're going to move toward, into, and through the things that we, would, we, we feel everything in our life telling us, run from, resist this. We're going to embrace the discomfort. We're going to do the hard things. And as we do, what do we need to know? We need to know that your thoughts and words shape your reality. Your thoughts and words shape your reality. The moment you begin to try and commit to doing something, it's probably happening for some of you right now. Because all throughout the sermon, the Holy Spirit of God has been tug- tugging at certain areas of your heart and saying, this is what is, is gonna, Monday's going to be like. This is what Thursday needs to consist of. This is the phone call that needs to happen. This is, the inter- this is what you're going to do differently when you walk into the office next week. And the moment that happens, there's a little, little like 
nagging voice inside of our head that starts yabbering about all the worst case scenarios. If I do, then this, if I, if excuses are going to start popping up like crazy as to why you shouldn't even try before you've even done it. Proverbs 22 puts it this way. The lazy man says, there's a lion in the streets. I shall be slain if I go out. There's a lion, like, this is the guy who needs to go deliver pizzas or something. He's like, I can't do that. <laughs> because there's a lot. He's like, talk about, like, like, where did that even come from? There's a lion in the streets? Like, do you think, like, that was a common occurrence? Like, uh, you don't, you don't re- very regularly hear about a guy just walking down the mar- to the market and lying got him, right? I mean, he's just coming up with some outlandish excuse. I like what Benjamin Franklin said on the subject. He said, he who is good at making excuses is seldom good for anything else. If you're just going to live that way, oh, this is, not, this is why I can't start today. This is why it didn't work. This is why you, you, you need to not be that way. And, and, and the enemy is going to always be trying to put all these excuses in your head as to why there's extenuating circumstances and they don't know your family history and what you've been through and blah, 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 blah. There's a line in the streets. But we're not going to talk like that. We're not going to think like that. Why? Because we know Proverbs 28 that says the righteous isn't scared about some lion in the streets. The righteous is as bold as a lion. So we're not going to be afraid to live out what God's put on our lives, saying there's a lion in the streets. Instead, because we know our identity in Christ, we can speak up and say, yeah, there's a lion in the streets, and it's me. I am the lion. I'm not scared of the streets. The streets better be scared of me. I am a child of the King. I'm filled with the spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the dead. I am more than a conqueror because of him who loved me. And it doesn't matter how I feel. I'm going to obey because it's right, because he has my back, because he has gone before me. So come on, let's resolve to do the difficult things. Let's resolve to live the hard things out, no matter the consequences, no matter how it feels in the moment. Let's obey God. Let's worship him. Let's live power. What an incredible message. Thank you so much for joining us in this teaching from Fresh Life Church. If while you're watching, you made a decision to follow Christ, first of all, congratulations. That is the best decision you will ever make. Um, We would love to send you a 21-day devotional through the book of John, written by Pastor Levi. And all you have to do to get that is text the word Fresh Life to the number 99000. And you can register your decision online at freshlife.church by clicking the No God button. We would love to connect with you. If you've been impacted through what God is doing here at Fresh Life Church, we would love to hear from you. Go to our website and click the Share Your Story tab at freshlife.church, or you can email us at story at freshlife.church, and we would love to hear how God is moving and impacting your life through this work here at Fresh Life. These stories are not only an encouragement to our staff, but to our entire church family. And finally, if you'd like to partner with us financially and support the work that God is doing here in this house, you can give by texting the word FRESH to 45777 or you can click the give button at our website freshlife.church or you can give on our Fresh Life app. Thanks so much for watching.